0: On the latest Bill Kelly Show podcast, Ontario Science advisory table suggesting the province implement a smaller scaled version of a COVID-19 vaccine certificate. The Liberals in Nova Scotia facing a lot of heat after an acclaimed candidate for the party claims that she was ousted over boudoir photos. Netflix is soon going to add video games to its service after a decline in subscriber growth this year. And eight of the weirdest flavors of ice cream you've ever heard. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To begin the day, Vaxports vaccine certificates. It's all the rage. Ontario science advisory table suggesting uh, the province implement a smaller scaled version of a COVID-19 vaccine certificate. And that's despite Premier Doug Ford's objection to such a system. The group says COVID vaccine certificates would set up infrastructure to guide the reintroduction of public health measures if cases spike again and thus incentivizing unvaccinated people to get the shots. With more details, here's Global's Mark Carcasole.
1: Stage three of Ontario's reopening has been a breath of fresh air. The return to semi-normal has been good for small business, too. It's really nice to see our customers return. But the province's own COVID-19 science advisory table says the fastest way to reopen the economy fully is through so-called vaccine certificates. We can either ignore the facts or we can look into potential solutions. With the Delta variant spreading, summer approaching its end, and kids potentially going back to school, he says having a provincial document to prove immunity status can avoid major lockdowns and incentivize vaccination. We better get ready for, uh, you know, end of August, beginning of September, not to introduce it, but to have it in our back pocket if things start to look dim again. It's a hard sell for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Without details, they say it could work, but only while vaccine demand outpaces supply and COVID remains a large public health threat.
2: Without that case for necessity, the risk is that we are introducing a new form of identification that you need to show your own personal health information to everybody and that would not be supportable. It's literally straight out of George Orwell's 1984.
1: They speculate it could also be very expensive for the province. Now of course the province doesn't have to follow the advice of the science table and it doesn't look like they're going to. In an emailed statement a spokesperson for the Ministry of Health tells us quote, our government has been clear that the COVID-19 vaccine will not be mandated for Ontarians but we do strongly suggest that people embrace the opportunity. At the same time Ontarians have the ability to download or print an electronic COVID-19 vaccine receipts through the provincial portal should proof of vaccination be required in a certain setting.
0: All right. So there's the 411 on what is going down with some reaction and some analysis. Let's bring in our first guest today. Sabrina Angie is the founder of the Queens Park Observer and joins us this morning. Sabrina, good morning. How are you?
3: Good morning, Rick. I'm uh, enjoying the sun today.
0: Yeah, it's about time. When do you expect to get your COVID-19 vaccine certificate?
3: <laughs> um, I've actually already got mine. It's, it's on the fridge. It's kind of, you know, already peeling at the edges oh. and fading a bit. But uh, I I've, I guess it's all I've got. Um, and it seems that, you know, according to the premier um, and as the health minister reiterated this week, you know, it's it seems like it's a hard no on a more formal vaccine passport or certificate system at least.
0: I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the premier is not going to change his mind. But would this be good for business at least, or, or would it be a bad thing?
3: Uh, no, that's a really good point. Uh, we've kind of seen after the premier took a hard pass on this that that business is sort of been up to businesses to decide um, these you know murky waters. Really, um, we've already seen you know labor lawyers jump on it and say that this is a bit of a gray area and we've we've seen some blowback to some businesses that are implementing vaccine policies or even publicly telling people of the status of their staff. Uh there was a website uh safe to do.ca that was aggregating these businesses and they had to shut down, you know, just days after starting because they, the businesses that were named you know that said we we want people to come in who are vaccinated you know here's our staff status that they were being bombarded really with negative fake reviews fake reservations um that type of thing so so the blowback was major um and i think that you know the premier is right that it is someone's constitutional right to get uh you know to have autonomy over your body and decide you know whether or not you want to get the vaccine but it's not really a constitutional right that we can work out indoors or go eat, you know, a plate of chicken wings inside. That's, that's not really our right. And I think that's where the, the system comes in. I'm not sure how much politics is playing a part in this because we've actually seen, if you look to Manitoba and Quebec, where they have, uh, you know, Tory premiers, they, they're also introducing these systems. I think the, the main issue is, you know, which groups, uh, are calling for this you know we've even heard from doctors and the, one of the nurses associations saying that health workers should get this because they deal with the most vulnerable populations um, the, the premier just doesn't seem like he's willing to budge i don't think it's too late but i think that we are going to see more of this free for all of you know different types of businesses we've seen good life uh, the gym they they get they're getting backlash for not having uh, proof of vaccination whereas you know other places like strip clubs even that they're they're saying you know we, we only want vaccinated people coming in so I think that there's this uh, you know hodgepodge system that it's created and it's just going to get a little more complicated.
0: It wasn't too long ago in a restaurant setting where we had a smoking section can you envision an unvaccinated section?
3: I mean, I think logistically, uh, that might be a bit of a nightmare for businesses to set up because, you know, I I think everyone's more worried about September. What happens when schools come back, when the weather starts to cool down and people start to head indoors? Uh, You know, most experts are saying that, that there is going to be a surge in cases. There are concerns about these variants. The more people who aren't vaccinated. It gives the virus a chance to mutate and, you know, uh, get, get, uh, you know, uh, mold itself sort of, I I should say, uh, to, to form these variants. And and we have more of these breakthrough cases. So I think that we haven't heard the end of this vaccine passport system. The the premier seems, you know, dead set against it. But I I would advise people, you know, to, to keep their their receipts handy, um, just in case.
0: What about the fraud aspect? Because the the receipts that we get, the paper receipts or even the email receipts, I mean, it's easy to doctor them, or I guess it would be easy to doctor them if if you worked hard enough and had the technology to do it.
3: Yeah, that's been a a major concern. That They're pretty easy to forge. uh, And if there was a a business, you know, a movie theater, say that, you know, something that was actually floated by the health minister, you know, months ago, um, that if if you needed the proof to get in that, that it might be relatively easy to uh, to fudge it. But I think that that that's going to be a major concern. And it's really a lot of responsibility on these individual businesses and establishments to vet these things. So I think that Uh, it's going to be a lot of personal response and individual responsibility coming up.
0: Do you get the sense that the province is just trying to, you know, wash its hands of this certificate and say, Hey business, you, you just take care of it. And it's almost abdicating some sort of responsibility.
3: Um, I, I think certainly that's what the opposition critics at Queens park are saying right now. They're saying that this, this, this needs to be sorted. You know, there's, there's so many questions. There's this really murky system being created now. And, even, you know, from a legal aspect. Uh, we had seen, you know, back back during the SARS crisis that the the, the labor arbitrators looked at the law and said, you know, we, we couldn't mandate vaccines from people or ask them for it. So I think that now the question is, you know, is COVID more of a bigger deal about this? And at the end of the day, no one wants to shut back down. And I think we did hear from the top doctor this week, you know, just keep in mind at the science table that they when they called out for vaccine passports, their advisory, but we did hear from the, the top doc who has a has a big hand in, in you know, helping the premier make these decisions that he did say they were reasonable. I think that he's hoping that more folks get their shot that maybe if we are up to, you know, 90% of eligible Ontarians were around 80 right now with their first dose that If we get to around 90 percent of people who are vaccinated we might not need that system but that's a big chunk of people to go this last final stretch and the the clock is winding down to september i think that when schools come back when the weather gets cooler um, that's when they really want to see this happen so i i think it's maybe more of a wait and see approach that they still could change their mind you know they could they could say we've we're we're looking at the numbers you know we've gotten the advice and this is where things are so so we're changing our mind um, but like i said you know the premier's right that it's that, that that it's constitutional not not to take the vaccine but to to be able to do things um, more activities b- because of it, I think that's really where the question lies.
0: Sabrina Nanji is our guest. She's the founder of Queens Park Observer. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show on 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick in for Bill uh, this week. There are certain sectors of industry that are mandating that you be fully vaccinated before participating in what they have to offer and the cruise lines are probably the best example of that. You cannot jump on a uh, a boat, a cruise line without you know, proof of being fully vaccinated, um, there's going to be businesses in Ontario, across Canada, around the world really, that are, are going to say that you know, unless you're fully vaccinated, you are not allowed in or, you know, we'll still cater to you, but, you know, we'll give you your order of food or whatever the case is, you know, through the side door or through this delivery window or, or however that capacity is going to be laid out. Um, those businesses that will cater to the unvaccinated as well, do you think they have an advantage over those that are just focused on the vaccinated?
3: Um, I mean, I guess I guess we'll see. We have seen some some of that backlash online, like I said, and um, it's it's really going to be up to how people feel comfortable in these things. I mean, we're seeing more and more jurisdictions bring in these measures uh, over in the UK, which, you know, Canada and Ontario, they, they've sort of followed those trajectories. So I think that that this might become more of an issue in the fall. Um, and We are seeing more people in Canada being open to this. There was an Angus Reid poll this week that showed, you know, well over half, you know, uh, you know, 60 and 70 percent of people were open to having more activities available to people who were fully vaccinated. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to shut down. It's been such a tough, you know, more than a year dealing with this pandemic and these on and off, you know, fits and starts of lockdowns. I don't think anyone wants to go through that again. So I, I think there's going to have to be a lot of social responsibility, and, and there is, you know, some saving grace here for people who might be worried about, you know, interacting with with people who may not be vaccinated, if, if I could put it that way. That you know, these businesses, as they are reopening, that they are still supposed to keep social distancing measures in place. So I think there are definitely concerns with these new, more contagious variants, but um, it's I, I think that it's going to It's going to be a lot of individual choice
2: that it comes down to. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show
0: podcast on 900 CHML. Really interesting, uh, multi-layered story out of Nova Scotia. They are uh, currently in election mode in that province. The Liberal Party trying to get re-elected under uh, Premier Ian Rankin. Um, But the party is being accused of misogyny and double standards after a female candidate who was acclaimed in one of the ridings was forced out of the race over boudoir photos. And you're probably thinking, okay, what's a boudoir photo? It's, you know, an intimate collection of photos. Not hardcore pornography. You know, these are tastefully done in many respects. And while I haven't seen this, you know, collection of photos, Robin Ingram says that, yeah, she notified the party that these photos were out there. She had, um, you know, posted these pictures of herself on places like Instagram and Tumblr, OnlyFans, all you know, legal enterprises. So nothing was underhanded. She wasn't making millions of dollars off these photos. Just her way to make a little bit of money, express herself. But she had really come clean to the party well beforehand. Um, so as I mentioned, she was acclaimed as a liberal candidate in the district of Dartmouth South, But on Saturday, she said in a statement posted on her Instagram account that she was bowing out of the race citing mental health reasons. However, that wasn't really the case, according to her. She's saying that she was told to say it was mental health reasons when, in fact, the party did not want to, I guess, be exposed when these boudoir photos had come out. Tim Bousquet is the founder of the Halifax Examiner, and he joins us now on The Bill Kelly Show. Tim, good morning. How are you?
4: Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you?
0: Not too bad. This story has a lot of layers to it. What do you make of it?
4: Yeah, you, you gave a pretty good synopsis of of, of the sequence of events, but uh, just to give a, a, a little broader context, mm-hmm. Um, The Liberal Party has uh, been in power here for a couple election cycles, and uh, the previous premier, um, uh, Stephen McNeil, had faced allegations that um, uh, one of his staff members had um, had abused a a woman. Um, The current premier in in Rankin just uh, filled that position a few months ago before the election was called um he recently just a couple of weeks ago uh, came out and admitted that uh when he was a, a young man he um he had t- 2 DUIs um that's information that wasn't made public before uh, a reporter started snooping around and, and found them um so he's he said hey that was a long time ago um shouldn't affect your your uh, vote now um, at the same time, just a couple of months ago, uh, a, a female MLA uh, resigned her position saying that one of Rankin's uh, staff members had uh, harassed her um, and was misogynistic uh, behavior towards her. Uh, so there's this kind of background of, of all these sort of allegations. Uh, in the same election, there's a PC candidate um, and social media posts have have come out from a few years ago uh, she had stated that uh, she wanted to uh, run over bicyclists in her, in her truck, um, who, who in her view shouldn't have been on the, on the roads. Um, she was defended by her party. So there's all these allegations of other uh, bad behavior amongst other candidates that seems to be excused or downplayed, and yet here's this one young woman um, who arguably has done far less than any any of the others who has had to step down. So that that's sort of the context of, of this.
0: What's in the water in Nova Scotia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Wow. Um,
4: I could even I could even go on on that. But uh, this young woman, she's uh, I, I would guess in her late twenties, and um, she's of her generation. Uh, she seems delightful. I've never met her in person, although her. Her barbershop. She owns a barbershop. Uh, it's just right down the hill from my house. Um, but she's uh, heavily tattooed, um, as many young people are. Uh, she's a, a woman in a, uh, uh, a a male-dominated field, and she's had some success um, co-owning this barbershop. Um, she um, uh, was hit heavily, hit hit hard by the pandemic. You know, barbershops are shut down. And she's made no secret her whole life of or her whole adult life of having had some mental health problems in the past. And uh, also uh, that she puts these photos out. Um, uh, she claims that she she told the party all about it. And it reading between the lines, the issue seems to be that when the pandemic hit, um, she went from doing Instagram posts to doing uh, posts on OnlyFans, which is a, a was started by pornographers, uh, pe- people, sex workers who uh, um, were selling their work uh, a, as a, a way to make money without a, a middle person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's much broader than that now, and all sorts of people use OnlyFans who are, are not sex workers, are not selling, um, you know, pornography, uh, and anyway that seems to have been the the trigger for all this I, I was alerted uh right as this was happening a friend of mine uh said that that a man was uh posting her photos on on uh a twitter uh, I never saw them, and I don't know who the man was um which seems to be seems to matter whether it was another party or or who doing this um but she's not uh so far as I know, no one's ever accused her of doing anything illegal or even uh uh partaking in sex work uh, per se um so i I, I, don't
0: I think, know. yeah, I think one of the big. Uh, you know, wrinkles or or at least accusations that the Liberal Party is being faced with now is the accusation that they told her to lie that she's stepping down because of mental health reasons when she's saying, no, it's actually because these photos were coming out and the party didn't want to deal with it.
4: Yeah, that's exactly. And the the Premier was to meet with her um, just a few hours uh, after the resignation happened at a public event. uh, as, As people do in elections, you know, a campaign stop. Um, and I guess that flags somebody, uh, somebody's attention and, and this whole thing came. I have no way of saying, uh, no way of knowing whether, um, Miss Ingram is, is, uh, uh, telling the truth or lying. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to believe she's lying. Um, there seems to be this sort of, uh, um, hidden power structure within all parties, but in the liberal party here, about how they make decisions, and the Premier hasn't come clean on that. He says, well, I've never met this woman. Uh, I've never talked to her. I'm trying to talk to her, and she's not talking to me. Um, It's very unsatisfying.
0: She said that uh, about six hours after the party announced that she was acclaimed as a candidate and even posted a headshot of her, you know, this is our no candidate in Dartmouth-South, she received a call from party officials who said, hey, we know that these photos are out there, or at least are have resurfaced, and she's also claiming that one party staffer—I'm not sure who it is, she doesn't identify the person—asked um, her whether or not she had sex for money, and she was quite offended by that as well, and that's, you know— Obviously, if you are a candidate in a political party there, you could have some skeletons in your closet. But, you know, when you're when you're trying to field off these kind of accusations, that's kind of crossing the line, don't you think?
4: Yeah, I would agree. And and but from her statement, she says that not only uh, did she tell them about these voters way ahead of time, uh, she also said if they come public um it will be a learning experience for for the people of the district. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she was okay with that, and she said that uh, uh, the, the people she was talking to understood that and agreed with her.
0: As you mentioned, she's a younger woman. She's not you know to, a seasoned political veteran by any means. Does a story like this put a damper on those up-and-coming or would-be politicians to say, you know what, I don't want any part of this world?
4: Well i think it does uh i will say that uh, her opponent uh, the 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 n d p uh office holder in in that writing uh it, is a woman and a very strong candidate she uh it's likely she'll take the writing no problem uh she's come out in defense of uh of Miss um but yeah that's that's the worry exactly is um younger people have a different view of the world um, by, by my way of thinking, it's, it's more, um, uh, open and accepting of, of differences, um, and they should be celebrated and encouraged. And, um, you know, here's someone who's, who has been quite frank about their life experience, about, uh, have, facing mental illness, about the struggles of being a, a, a barber through the pandemic with, with shutdowns and so forth. Um, about uh, her, her own celebration of her own body and and using that to uh, bring in some income, um, she hasn't hidden anything that I can see, and I don't. Um, I I I think we should celebrate that that kind of person.
0: Totally agree, and I think if anything, Dartmouth South or that riding or that area or the community has really lost a potential you know, um, uh, community leader that could have made, uh, you know, a big impact in in a variety of, you know, different uh, communities. Uh, We're chatting with uh, Tim Pusquet. He's the founder of the Halifax Examiner here on the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. I guess the final question is, does this story at all damage Ian Rankin's campaign?
4: Well, yeah, it's the latest in a sequence of, of, of things starting um, way back before him, but uh, under his 10 years premier, with the allegations of misogyny from his staff and um, his own DUIs that came of light. Um, I, you know, I, I think people are kind of voting strategically as they tend to do, but uh, um, and there's, they're able to overlook a lot of these things, but this, this one might be a bridge too far for, Um, especially women, not only women, but especially women and especially uh, younger women.
2: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Netflix reporting its worst slowdown in subscriber growth in eight years as people emerge from their pandemic cocoons, if you will. Um, You know, we've all been watched uh, various shows or, or, or movies. Uh, During restrictions and lockdowns last year and with the economy reopening, maybe we're not spending as much time with uh, the friend we love to call Netflix. So there is a new wrinkle that is going to be coming to a screen near you. It's adding video games. So who better to talk about this than the video games prof, Dr. Christopher Alexander, professor with the School of Media at Ryerson University. And he joins us now. Dr. Alexander, how are you today? I'm very well. How are you? Not too bad. I heard you enjoyed our uh, our portal uh, entry
2: here. <laughs> Musical I interlude. Love that. I love that. I love how y'all keep me guessing with these fantastic trivia games during the wait. <laughs> so
0: what do you make of this announcement from
2: Netflix? Video
0: Games is coming to the streaming service.
2: Yeah, now while the details about which specific video game titles are still pending, I think it's a very intriguing and interesting foray into a realm which they've kind of dabbled into previously with episodes like Bandersnatch and there was a spin-off spin-off mobile, mobile game, I believe, for Stranger Things. So it'll be interesting to see what their take is on this particular definition of video games in this streaming space.
0: So they obviously see that there's money to make here.
2: Well, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, they're not going to do it. The the playing of video games has gone up 75% as of the onset of the pandemic. And uh, with that comes a lot of uh, financial revenue and and maybe in some cases loss of revenue. Uh, But the median age of Netflix subscribers, I believe, is between the ages of 35 and 44, which is very interestingly overlapping the consumers who spend the most money on video games, not have the most time to play, spend the most money on video games. So how Netflix, if they plan on tapping into that specific medium, median demographic is very intriguing to see because we've seen other companies try to do streaming like Google, they had their Stadia. And then before Google, they had uh, OnLive, which some of you young kids may not know about, but uh, we've seen this before. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out.
0: So uh, how should Netflix tackle this and who should they be going after?
2: Ooh, that's great. Well, what's incredible about this uh, announcement that maybe doesn't have as many details as possible is Netflix has a lot of analytical data as to how long, who's who's watching, who's spending what time looking at what scenes, who's recording, who's moving back. So they might actually be developing content-specific interactive games based on audiences. For example, we were looking at the um, Black Mirror, Bandersnatch, that was a more choose-your-own-adventure style uh-huh. thing. A lot of the... Uh, many of the Netflix subscribers are watching Netflix on video game consoles. So is there going to be a connection between controller and console? We don't know, but we know that they have the data to support whether or not that should be a thing.
0: We're chatting with the video games prof, Dr. Christopher Alexander, professor with the School of Media at Ryerson University, talking about Netflix's foray into video games sometime soon. They haven't really given a date on this either. Do you think this is a 2022 project?
2: Ooh, well, I I think we'll see what happens to shares after the announcement. And then uh, that'll better dictate what's going to happen. But yeah, I would imagine that they're announcing just to test the waters to see maybe what kind of acceptance, maybe gauge their audiences in terms of content, uh, what they might be wanting to see on forums and the like. So no one really knows. Do you think this
0: will attract those who are uh, into the consoles, whether it's Xbox or, or PS5, or are they going after a different kind of audience?
2: I would argue that they're going, trying to go after a different audience, uh, just because of the variability of the different platforms with which people are using to engage with Netflix. You cannot guarantee particular processor, graphics card, all of these things as you would on a console, for example. Mm-hmm. So it might be more of a casual audience. And we do have to be aware of uh, some of the trending things in uh, free to play games and microtransactions, Cause there was not, to my memory, an announcement of cost or anything i think the suggestion was it would be free we don't know whether or not that's free with asterix or just free
0: yeah the asterisk is you're going to pay sometime down the line
2: <laughs> <It> very well <laughs> could be um
0: it it's probably safe to say that some hardcore gamers will probably check it out because they're you know they're they're rather liberal in their thinking because when everything new comes about they want to test drive it
2: well, yeah, well, that's not always the case, and sometimes it is, and it, it may get tested very quickly, and you'll see it all on Reddit and Discord forums, how the reactions might be, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. if there are things like lagging. But, but again, it depends on the genre that they choose. If it's story-based narrative that they adhere to primarily, they may see some more success. If it's to the actual playing, like many video game controllers have, like I think on average, 21 inputs. So if they're trying to duplicate that, I don't know. So yeah, I think I think we'll have to wait and
0: see. Uh, do you foresee any potential partnerships sometime down the road with um, titles like Epic Games? You know, Microsoft being a big hitter, uh, Electronic
2: Arts. Absolutely, with those ones, but in particular with Epic Games, considering their foray into virtual studio production. So there's going to be a lot of overlap there in terms of content generated and progress. And what I mean by that is it would better be possible to make an interactive movie that is being shot via the Unreal Engine anyway than it would be to try and contact and merge the two realms traditionally. And I say traditionally very loosely in this particularly technological context. What
0: about the, uh, uh, I guess, the evolution of, you mentioned Bandersnatch, the choose your own adventure kind of scenario. Do we see a little bit more of that? Or do you think Netflix is going to go an entirely different, different direction knowing that they've already tried that out?
2: They may continue to go in that direction. They may start experimenting with things like advertising. Let's say there are 12 different uh, endings in a show Mm -hmm. and you have different cans of a particular advertiser in each ending. Will they have the analytics to know how often people watch a particular ending or will they start introducing like Super Bowl rates for the best ending? You know what I'm saying? Like it'll all depend on the balance between games, monetization structures advertising and things of this nature. So I'm actually really excited to see how it turns out.
0: How lucrative do you think it could be for Netflix? Do you think they could potentially be a major player?
2: Ooh, I don't know. I'd have to see the name I don't know if they're crafting titles on their own. Uh, I think they engaged a former heavyweight uh what's his name again? Oh uh, Mike Verdu. Major- yeah, Mike Verdu of um formerly Atari Electronic Arts and Zynga. So um we'll see where that goes because if you look at all of those companies Many of them have engaged in traditional video game slash monetization models. So we'll see which one it takes form with this particular announcement. So now that Netflix has come out to say, hey, you know what? We're
0: going to dip our toe into the video game realm. Do you expect others like HBO Max
2: or Disney Plus to kind of say, eh, that's not a bad idea. Let's do it, too. I think what will happen is similar to what we saw with the streaming surge. Netflix is going to pilot it. You know, in some ways, Netflix is the Nintendo of streaming. You know, Nintendo will pilot the ideas. Oh, Rumble Pack, and then everybody takes it. Oh, Motion Controls, and everybody takes it. It might be a situation where Netflix is like, okay, this is how we're doing interactive content. And then Disney says, okay, now we're going to do it with our IP. You know what I'm saying? So it depends on, I I believe they're setting some kind of trend in some way.
0: Is it usually the trendsetter that benefits the most? Because they might have a great idea, but another company uh, might perfect it or, or do it better.
2: Well, that could have been the argument with Nintendo, but console sales right now, I think, still contribute the, the opposite. So Nintendo has pioneered the technology and they still, I believe, are still on top in terms of what they bring to both portable and uh, console markets. So Netflix may still be a household staple, particularly in this new realm of interactive content that they're piloting.
0: Last question for you. What's the best video game you're playing right now?
2: What? I'm playing right now? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm playing an interactive narrative card game called Griftlands wow what's that all about uh well you take the place of three different characters and it's card based battle and card based negotiation and it is a spectacular story told by traditional jrpg japanese role-playing game uh mechanics and i just really enjoy the mechanic of uh debate because they use things like fast talk as a playable card so those are the kinds of games that i gravitate toward interesting what's it called again
0: Griftlands. all right i can i can see our listeners googling it right now you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml ice cream you scream we all scream for ice cream do we not this is uh, you know one of those foods that has a gazillion different flavors and can be enjoyed virtually after every occasion whether it's a birthday party, an anniversary, you're just hungry at three in the morning and dive into the freezer and say, all right, let's go with some moose tracks. It's so versatile. You, you break up with a significant other, you can comfort yourself in a tub of French vanilla or whatever you choose. If it's mint chip, I will not say that is the wrong answer because I'm a fan as well. However... There are, and these are real, there are some shudderingly horrific flavors of ice cream on the market right now, including, here's eight of them, and these are in no particular order of disgustingness, if, if that's a word, but mac and cheese flavored ice cream. Yeah, this is true. Kraft has come out with mac and cheese flavored ice cream. It happened on July the 14th. Uh, Forget about getting one because they sold out within 10 minutes. 2,000 pint edition ice cream sold out in 10 minutes. Uh, I don't know. I love mac and cheese. I love baked mac and cheese. The cheesier the better. Throw on some bacon in there. Yes. But mac and cheese ice cream, apparently... From the reviews, it tasted pretty good. Quote, unquote, it tastes pretty good. Some of the reviewers, I don't know, maybe it was a late night snack. And they thought they were getting one flavor of ice cream and they actually grabbed the mac and cheese flavored and they thought it was pretty good. I'd like to try it. You know what? I'd like to try almost all of these on this list. And you'll probably realize very soon why I said almost as opposed to all of them. Mac and cheese? I'll try it. I'm a guy who will try virtually any kind of food. There are, I think, just a handful of things that I've tried that I do not like. Borscht and beets, sorry, not my cup of tea. Hey, I tried it, did not like it. Uh grapefruit? Nah, can't do it. I'm sorry. I love seafood. I'll eat escargot. Um, you know, any kind of meat. But beets, oh, pomegranate, also on the list, can't do that either, and grapefruit. That's uh, might only be the three things that I've ever eaten. Ah, liver. You know, I, I've eaten liver, ugh, and I say it, and I'm ugh, losing my appetite as we speak. Number two, and again, no particular order on these disgustingly weird ice cream flavors. We had mac and cheese. Number two, extra virgin olive oil ice cream. Ugh. Really? This is from Oddfellows Ice Cream. Uh, we don't we don't have any reviews, and maybe it's because it was so bad people just said, nah. Extra virgin olive oil ice cream. I wonder if it's oily. I don't know. Number three. And I wouldn't mind trying this one. Because everyone loves, I think, leftover pizza. There is Actually, a leftover pizza ice cream. It's from Loblolly Creamery. And I wonder how they just thought about this. It's probably late at night. They had some leftover pizza. You know, this person was hungry, and they're like, you know what? What if we made leftover pizza into a leftover pizza-flavored ice cream? And there you have it. I know we're coming up to lunchtime, but that, that doesn't sound too bad. I love pizza. That's my favorite food on the planet. Now we're talking leftover pizza ice cream. That could be good. And would you have leftover pizza ice cream after some pizza? Or even after some leftover pizza? Now we're getting crazy. Uh, Number four on this list of eight weird ice cream flavors. How about sweet avocado cayenne? Now we're throwing a variety of flavors at us. We got the sweetness. I mean, an avocado is not that sweet, but it's got a great flavor to it, and some heat, some sweet heat, avocado cayenne. Ah, I, I'd try it. I'm not sure I'd like it. A uh, sweet avocado cayenne. Pardon me, Rococo ice cream. So Google them if you want some sweet avocado cayenne flavored ice cream. List of H, wild and wacky and weird and. In some cases, later on in this list, disgusting ice cream flavors: strawberry habanero. Hmm. So we get the we had the sweet heat, and here's another version of sweet heat. Strawberries are like habanero peppers. Yeah, check mark there again from Rococo's ice cream menu. I, I, I think I can go with that. Number five. All right, this one's a little out of left field, but it's in the leftover pizza realm. From Rehoboth ice cream comes Thanksgiving dinner. Mmm. I'm thinking gravy, turkey, stuffing, mash, all in an ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I'd try it. I'd try it. I'm not sure I'd like it. So what if there was some green beans in there? You know, green beans are okay. Numbersito ice cream. There's another food I don't like. Tomato soup. Nope, can't do it. Uh, The Creole Creamery website has uh, its slogan is Eat Ice Cream Creole Tomato Ice Cream, but it is on the list. All right, there's two more on this list, and this is where it takes a dramatic turn from "Mm, that could be okay to (sighs) cicada-flavored ice cream. Yes, the bug. Cicada-flavored ice cream. Who in their right mind eat a bug-flavored ice cream? Ice cream. This is from Sparky's homemade ice cream. I'm just looking at the picture on this website and no, can't do it. And the last one, and this is certainly one I cannot do either. (laughs) This is from SUNY Sky's homemade ice cream. And the flavor no, forget about avocado cayenne, not Creole tomato, not even leftover pizza. This flavor of ice cream, cold sweat. That's right, cold sweat ice cream. Grab a scoop of that and put it in a waffle cone. (laughs) Who is going to enjoy that? Would I try it? I might. You know, the curiosity factor is there. Certainly not with the cicada. So six out of the seven I'd try. I'd probably like two or three of them, to be honest. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.